Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. As we're going through the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, the title of the message this morning is The Power of Jesus. The Power of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark, The Power of Jesus. Last week we observed Jesus as he called the first of several disciples to ministry. And we learned four principles, really, in the big picture. We learned four principles uh, from what we observed. Number one, God calls people who are busy versus people who are lazy. And you'll notice as he walked along the Sea of Galilee, he saw men who were busy serving, busy about their business. They were not idle men who were sitting back doing nothing. God really does often call people who are busy and faithful. And number two, God calls people to follow him to fish for people versus living for the world. There are a lot of things that can call for our attention, but oftentimes it calls into question our priorities, our uh, desires, our focus. And so often, if we're not careful, we can be so consumed with what is temporary versus what is eternal. And uh, you've heard me say numerous times over the last several years that there are only two things that span the test of time, and it's the Word of God and the souls of men. Anything else will be lost by fire, God's Word tells us. So He calls people who will follow him to fish for people versus living for the things of this world. Number three, God calls people with a sense of urgency to follow with commitment. We talked about that idea of urgency. He really spoke with the idea that we have to be about the business that God has called us to. And then number four, as he calls us with urgency, he calls people to respond with urgency and obedience. And I hope that we've been able to see some of these things working in our lives this week. But as we continue in our study of Mark chapter 1, we see more of the power of Jesus as we observe him. First, we see his power to speak with incredible authority. And secondly, we see his power as he drives out the unclean spirit from a man. And I think we're going to see that this is more than just a story. We're going to learn some really key things about the life of Jesus here And I think it will do well to apply them to our hearts and our lives as we see some factors that we uh, notice about driving out the unclean spirit. So before we get started, let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to look at your word. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you give me clarity of thought and speech, Lord, that they may be your words, your thoughts. And I ask God that you would just, once again, as we pray often and during our preaching time, Lord, that you would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, Lord, that you'd bring conviction where conviction is needed, and that ultimately, Lord, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives to make us more like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to just begin by reading the text of Scripture this morning, which is found in Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 21, and I'll read down through verse 28. Verse 21, Then went... They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in the synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. And come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Verse 27, they were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority? 
He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Well, the first thing that we're going to see in this text here is Jesus' power to speak with authority. And we see that in verses 21 and 22. And we see this as he is going from town to town. He stops in this little um, synagogue, and he begins to teach here. And it was not an uncommon thing. There was usually an open door for anyone who was considered a rabbi or a teacher to be able to have the freedom to speak in a synagogue as he would approach one. And remember, there were many synagogues and, uh, and so forth along the way. It is often said that anywhere there were at least 10 men, and men were considered at the age of 12 and above, anywhere there were a group or assembly of at least 10, 10 males, 12 and above, they would often form a synagogue. And so oftentimes, other teachers passing by would be welcome to speak and so forth inside the synagogue. But something was different with Jesus. As he had the opportunity to share here, Jesus astonished the listeners in the synagogues with his teaching. Well, why? Well, Jesus taught as one having authority. Um, I, want, I want you to just notice just for a moment, and I thought this is almost a little bit humorous, the way God lays out his word throughout even the book of Mark. Uh, about the fact that he astonished those that he spoke with, spoke to. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard, uh, heard him were astonished. Where did the man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? I, it wasn't like any other teacher that came through. When he came through, things happened. And you remember that as he did this, it just really took the people back. This is not a normal sight. This man has an ability that the other teachers did not have, that the other scribes, the other people did not uh, speak with. And, uh, you know, here's the situation. As he came in, because he did things that no one else was doing, they were absolutely upset with him. Uh, they were offended by his wisdom. What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? They wanted to know, why is he able to do these things that no one else has done? They were astonished, and we find out back in Mark chapter 1, they were astonished because he spoke as one having authority. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 37, this is where it says God has a little bit of a sense of humor. Now they're not just astonished. In Mark 7, 37, it says they were extremely astonished and said he has done everything well he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak can you imagine that i mean as this teacher comes to town i think the word got out ahead of him this man is different than anyone else who's come this way this man when he speaks things happen and not only were they astonished now this time they're extremely astonished and what happens when everyone begins to sense that this man is different, all of a sudden, not only are they offended, but now there's pride. There's pride. How come he can do things that we can't do? And there's pride. And then, if you would, take your Bibles just for a moment and turn over to Mark chapter 10. I want to read verses 23 through 27. Mark chapter 10, verse 23 through 27. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. 
I mean, once again, as Jesus comes and opens his mouth and begins to teach, he's not only got a different message, he has an authoritative message, and he has actions that follow his words. I mean, where does he get off doing this? The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And once again, even a little bit more humor from God's perspective, they were even more astonished. So they're astonished, they're extremely astonished, and now they're more astonished. These things that he's doing is just uncommon. It says, then who can be saved? And then looking at them, Jesus said, with me it is, uh, or with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. They were astonished because he spoke with authority. He acted with authority. And it says, unlike the scribes. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 18, it says, the chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to what? Kill him. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. So there is offended, they are offended by what he is doing, by what he is saying, by the results of what is happening through his ministry. There is pride and jealousy. And uh, they're looking for a way to kill him. Why? Because he's getting more attention than they are. I mean, everybody knows that the scribes and the Pharisees were to be the ones that everyone would look at and uh, command all the attention and so forth. But if we look back in our text there in Mark chapter 1, he says, he spoke not as the scribes. He did not teach like the scribes. And if you'll recall back in chapter 1 verse 14, Jesus proclaimed the good news of God. That was not the message of the scribes. So one has to wonder, how did the scribes teach? If Jesus taught with authority, not like the scribes, what was the way that the scribes taught? What was the message that they were bringing? I mean, we kind of all in the back of our minds, we kind of think, well, the scribes, uh, the rabbis, they were basically the religious of the day, right? I mean, everyone just expects that the religious people, they're going to present truth, right? Not always the case. And we have to make sure that when we are sitting under the teaching of the Word of God, that we be like the Bereans who said that they search the Scriptures daily to see if what is said is so. So we have to make sure that what is said is truth. That was not the situation with the scribes. Following the nation's return from Babylon, the scribes were considered the intellectually elite of the nation, if you will. And therefore, more important than the average person, they were the formerly trained legal experts of the law. Say that three times. The legally trained, formally trained legal experts of the law, or the Torah, uh, as you may have heard before. They had been appointed the task of protecting, if you will, the integrity of the scriptures. They would count every letter on every page to ensure that there were no errors in the copying process. Sounds like they were really, really concerned about the word getting out correctly. But you know what we find in life is things are not always as they appear. So they had also appointed themselves as the keepers of the oral law. And let me just say this. Their emphasis was on the oral law. More so than on the written law. Um, you may remember 
that Moses was given the written law, or the Old Testament, as well as the oral law. Uh, the oral law was the rabbis, or is what the rabbis sought to preserve, and this is how they did it. Through their teaching and tradition. Through their own teaching and traditions. Uh, their own teachings, not scriptural teachings. Uh, the problem was this. The oral law kind of took on a life all its own because it was always growing and expanding in several ways. Now, wait a minute. God gave us his word, and if it's growing and expanding, something's wrong. He gave us a book, and it shouldn't be growing. There are no extra books. It's not the Bible plus whatever book we happen to want to read. It's the Bible. Amen? We need to be careful. So the problem was this. The oral law kind of took on a life of its own because it was always growing and expanding through their traditions and their own teachings. And uh, it, did this, it did this in many ways. So think about this just for a moment. These, I'm going to give you a few words that may, you may or may not have heard before. Uh, several Hebrew words. And let me tell you what they mean. Uh, it grew and expanded in these several ways. First of all, through the Holocaust. The Holocaust was a record of rabbinical decisions and questions of ritual. So in the Holocaust, they would write down their traditions, they would write down their rituals, their practices, from generation to generation, from person to person, and because one person might do it a little bit different than this person, and this person might add a little bit of this and that to it, it was growing and expanding. Then you have the Mishnah. The Mishnah was a legal result or record of the decisions made in the Holocaust. So if something was changed in the, in the Holocaust, then the Mishnah record, would record it, and whatever it was recorded would become the legal book that they would refer to. Well, if it's a legal book, and it's constantly changing, once again, why is it changing? Because it's based on man's opinions, traditions, teachings, so forth. And then there's the Gemara. The Gemara was a collection of Hebrew sacred legends. There were stories that were told. I don't know about you, but stories kind of take on a life of their own at times. You know, the big fish that got away? Somewhere in there. Stories kind of have a life of their own. And these legends would be recorded, and they would grow, and they would expand. And then there's the Midrashim. These were the commentaries of the Old Testament that were passed down. Then there was the Haggadah. And the Haggadah explained the reasonings behind these traditional teachings. So we're not only just going to give you the teaching, we want you to understand why we come to this conclusion and why we added this and why it morphed into this. Can you see how these collection of Hebrew books just began to grow and expand? But it gets better. Then there's the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah was the mystical offshoot of all the above. In a highly allegorical and imaginative speculations of magical nature. So they had to have the mystical side of all these things. Kind of wrapping it all up. Pack packaging it just so. It was the result of all these written and oral laws. A vast mixture of both truth, error, and tradition. Preserved solely, now get this, preserved solely in the minds 
of the scribes and rabbis. Why? Because for centuries, it was forbidden to be written down. When the Kabbalah was all added up with all the other things, you could have, you could have this Holocaust, and you could have the Mishnah, and you could have the Gemara, and you could have the Midrashim, and all these little books. But for centuries, there was nothing to put them all together until the Kabbalah came along. Then, there's the Talmud. That's probably a phrase or a word that you've heard before. The Talmud was the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah transformed or morphed into the Talmud, which sadly, unfortunately, all but replaced the scriptures for the Jewish folks. And the scribes and the forerunners of the rabbis mastered the Torah and they loved their traditions. So, think about this just for a moment. So here comes Jesus. He comes in and begins to teach with authority. And when he teaches, when he opens his mouth, things begin to happen. Why? Because he is proclaiming the good news of God. God's word tells us in Beckham chapter 1, verse 14. What were the Jews and the scribes and the, and the, and the uh, rabbis teaching? The traditions of men. They loved the oral traditions. They were all kept right here. And from one person to the next, just passed down as they saw fit to record them and pass them down. By the way, unless you wonder just how godly or spiritual the scribes were, consider these verses. Chapter, or Mark chapter 2, verse 6. says, but some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. They were sitting there listening to Jesus speak, and they were sitting there with a questioning spirit, everything Jesus was saying. Mark chapter 2, verse 16, says, When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In Mark chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, says they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? So unless you think for any moment that the scribes who were the forerunners to the rabbis had any spiritual gumption about them at all, think twice. They were jealous. They were judgmental. They were critical. They were proud. They were arrogant. They questioned God's authority. And we wonder why nothing happened as they spoke, as they taught in the synagogues. It took someone like Jesus to come along and set the stage for truth. So emphatically correct, Jesus did not teach as the scribes. In fact, John chapter 7 and verse 46 says, the, answer, or the servants answered, no man ever spoke like him. Absolutely truth. No man ever spoke like this. Jesus was absolutely different. So here is, setting the stage here just for a moment, I want you to get in your mind's eye what's taking place. Jesus is going into the synagogue and he is teaching and as he is teaching, he's astounding those that were listening. They're perplexed at what is happening. And then God's word tells us. Verse 23. Just then, as Jesus is teaching, as he's proclaiming the, the word, just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So just then, probably as Jesus was teaching, this man appears before him, and it's obvious that he is possessed. 
in some way, shape, or form, he has got unclean spirits, he's got a demonic uh, uh, possession within him, and he knows that Jesus is teaching with authority. And it's interesting here that the unclean or the spirit, the demonic spirit, cries out with two questions. What do you have to do with us? And have you come to destroy us? Does that phraseology just kind of kind of sit in someone's anyone else's minds about the question and the pronouns that he used? I'm sitting there reading through this over and over. I'm thinking, us, us, we think of an unclean spirit, singular. But the only thing I can come up with, and I may not be right on this, there's an interesting switch in the pronouns. Either the man is filled with several demons, or this demon is speaking on behalf of several demons. I just find that when there is a critical spirit, where there's one, there's usually more. When Satan is at work in one life, I mean, what's better than one, two? There's often times it's not just one thing you're dealing with. It seems like Satan likes to work in numbers. So this man cries out, what do you have to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? And by the way, uh, this demon is no match for Jesus. Uh, we find out here very, very quickly that Jesus takes care of it in short order. But he knows exactly who Jesus is. He says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This unclean spirit, this demon, knew exactly who Jesus was. In fact, he goes on to say, I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. He knew exactly who Jesus was. And by the way, it tells us in the book of James, chapter 1, that even the devils believe in what? Tremble. Because they're no match for Jesus. Why? Because he has power to drive out the unclean spirit. He has power to speak with authority when he opens his mouth. They knew exactly who Jesus was. And Jesus simply displays his power to drive out the demons in verse 25. It says, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The word be silent means to literally be muzzled. Immediately that demon had to shut his mouth. And let me just say this too, when the devil likes to prod and proke and get into your atmosphere, God's word also tells us that if you resist the devil, what? He'll flee from you. Don't. I, for years, I've told my kids, I don't want anything to do with Ouija boards, nothing with dungeons and dragons. I don't even want to open the door to that garbage. I don't want it in my house. I don't want you around it. I, I want that stuff away from us. We need to make sure that we're not giving any place to the devil to get a foothold in our lives. And Jesus simply rebuked him. Be silent and come out of him. And notice Jesus didn't ensue a fist fight or a yelling match or, a, or a, uh, any type of uh, word battle. He simply spoke. His very voice. In fact, you'll notice in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, he says, The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this, even that the winds, <laughs> the winds and the sea obey him? Can you think about that just for a moment? There wasn't a fist fight. There wasn't a dispute. There wasn't any argumentation going on. He just simply said, Be silent and come out. 
And he had no recourse but to do exactly what Jesus said. And we see what happens here. In verse 26. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out. That's all he could do. He had to leave. Uh, the demon had no power against Jesus. So as we come to the end of this text, the question comes to my mind, oh, so what do we do with this story? So Jesus spoke with authority. I believe that with all my heart. He spoke with authority. And then we read that he you know, spoke to the demons and he left this man's body. What, what do we do with that? I, I think the application to this story is found right here in the text. So in conclusion, let me make three observations that we would do well to consider from this text of Scripture. Look at verses 27 and 28 once again. It says they were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Three observations I want us to note from the text that we read here. Number one, they were all amazed at what they saw. You say, well, you've been saying that for ten minutes now. I mean, we get that. Do we get it? They were amazed at what they saw. And can I say in application of this, the world needs to see Jesus in our lives. They need to see it. How can they want something that they've never seen? The world needs to see Jesus. The world does not need to see more hypocrisy and false teaching. They don't need more rules and regulations formed in the minds of man as the scribes love to do. The world needs to see a picture of Jesus at work. And we have a choice to make. When things happen in our life, we can either point back to Jesus and put our trust in Him, or we're going to respond in the flesh. And as long as we respond in the flesh, the world will not see Jesus. And trust me, it's easy to respond in the flesh. All of us struggle with that. And if you don't, let me show you some scripture later. They were all amazed at what they saw. The audience saw Jesus at work. The world needs to see Jesus at work in our lives. Number two, they became aware of his authority. Well, how do I know that? <laughs> it says, and so they began to ask each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. They became aware of Jesus' authority. We need to see a fresh glimpse of God's power and authority in our own lives. And let me just say this. Too many of us, and I say us, too many of us are resistant to authority in our lives. You know, this is something that starts when we're real young. Who of us loves authority? I mean, do we just love it when our parents are little and they say no? I mean, yeah, pick me, tell me no some more. It goes against our very nature, our very flesh, doesn't it? And when the boss says, I want you to do this, and you think you should do that. We despise authority in our lives. We don't like it. We, we resist it. Who of us likes someone else telling us what to do and how to do it? They instantly became aware of his authority. When is the last time we've experienced the presence of God in our personal lives, answered prayer, or closeness to God upon reading his word, and in response, humbled ourselves to his authority in our lives? 
You see, most of us make decisions every day on what is personally profitable for ourselves rather than submitting to God's authority. They were instantly aware of his authority. When's the last time we said, God, I'm sorry. I've been living my life for myself. And I'm willing to submit to your authority and leading in my life. We might not buy the things we buy. We might not go to the places we go. We might not watch the things that we watch. We might not listen to the things that we listen to. We might not read the things that we're reading. If we would but submit to the authority of the word of God. They became aware of his authority. And number three, they were not only amazed at what they saw, they were not only became aware of his authority, but number three, they proclaimed what they witnessed. How do I know that? Well, verse 28 says, At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. They proclaimed what they saw. Isn't that like us to proclaim the things that we witness? When there is a great football game on and somebody comes from behind and wins it, what do we do? We start talking about it. When our guy wins NASCAR, we start talking about it. When there is a, a political victory in our minds, we start talking about it. Do we talk about what Jesus has done in our lives? Let's be honest. Let's be real honest here. Do we talk about it? How can the world make a claim or a response to something that they have not heard. We need to open our mouths. But we can only open our mouths as we see a picture of God's working in our lives. Right? Can't have one without the other. You've heard me say this many times, you can't give away what you don't got. If I were a multi-billionaire, I could give you all kinds of money. But since I'm not, just make that clear, but since I'm not, I can't give you what I don't have, right? The same thing works in our spiritual lives as well. You can't give what you don't have. They proclaim what they witness. If we truly experience God's working in our lives, I don't think we could but proclaim what we have witnessed. Don't raise your hand, but has Jesus made a difference in your life? If he has, who knows about it? Who knows about it? Are we taking the opportunities that God gives us? And let me just say this. God does give us opportunities. I just find in my own life, and I can only speak for myself, is I'm just too busy doing my own thing most of the time to pay attention to it. Maybe you feel the same way. We have to-do lists, and we have agendas, and we have projects, and we have all these things that we're working on. And then we'll get a phone call, and it's like, I ain't got time to deal with that right now. Get an email. I don't want to deal with that. Someone else will take care of that. Who of us isn't busy? I think the opportunities are there. But we're just too busy, inwardly focused, to concentrate on them. I think the application to what we're reading, the fact that Jesus speaks with authority, the fact that he has power to drive out the unclean spirits, the application of this is very simple. They were amazed. And because they were amazed, they became aware of his authority. And as it became aware of his authority and witnessed what they saw, they couldn't help but open their mouth about it. I think there's three things right there that all of us can apply to our hearts and our lives this week. 
All of us are going to wake up, Lord willing, tomorrow morning, get dressed, and go about our day. And we can either live it in the flesh or filled with the Spirit. Living in the flesh, we're going to be worried about the temporary earthly things around us. Living in the Spirit, we're going to be worried about the, or concentrating on the eternal things. And it's so easy to be focused on one and not the other. Anybody agree? It's easy to be temporarily focused on earth. So let's challenge this week. Be amazed. Be, come again, once again, to the sense of awe and wonder of who God is and what he's capable of doing. See, I could ask this question. Is there anything God can't do? And we'd all emphatically say what? No. God can do anything. But do we expect him to? I think we need to once again come into the, the realm of his presence and be amazed at what he's done. Because the world needs to see Jesus. We need to be once again aware of his authority and surrender to it. Submit to it daily. And then number three, proclaim what we have witnessed as far as what he's done in our own lives and the lives of those around us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word, to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd help every one of us to make sure that we are concerned with truth. That we would stand for truth. God, I pray that you'd help every one of us to once again, afresh and anew, to be amazed at who you are. To not be distracted by the, what the, the things of this world. Your word reminds us in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, that all that is in this world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And you said these things will pass away. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us once again to get a sense of awe and wonder and be amazed at who you are. Lord, that we would once again be aware of your authority in our lives as your children. Your word reminds us that we were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to realize that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you as your children. And number three, that we might proclaim what we have witnessed as far as your working in our own lives and what we see you at work doing in the lives of those around us. That the world may see a picture of you, Lord. 